everyone. Before we get started, we wanted to let you know about our venue consulting. We have broken up our offerings into four distinct needs, design, sales and client experience, marketing, and those all important SOPs. You can take advantage of one or all of these tricky spots for your venue. If you want to learn more and get a few more details, head on over to hustleandgather.com to see how we can work together and reach your venue goals. All right, let's get to today's show. We've said for so long, you can't, you have to do what you said you were going to do when you're 22 years old and do it until you're like 80 years old. It's bullshit. You can change your mind whenever you want. Like this brewery, while I love it very much and I want it to succeed, it does not define me, right? Like if I wanted to, I could say, hey, everybody, I'm going to go teach preschool, right? Like I can do whatever I want. I make that choice. Welcome, everyone, to Hustle & Gather, a podcast about inspiring the everyday entrepreneur to take the leap. I'm Dana. And I'm Courtney. And we are two sisters who love business. On this show, we talk about the ups and downs of the hustle and the reward at the end of the journey. And we know all the challenges that come with starting a business between operating our wedding venue, doing speaking and consulting, and starting our luxury wedding planning company. We wake up and hustle every day. But we love what we do. And today we're talking with Inez Ribastello, owner of On the Square Restaurant, owner of Tarboro Brewing Company, and author of her self-published memoir, Life After Windows, a book she's been working on for the past 20 years. Inez, welcome to Hustle and Gather. Thank y'all for having me. Yeah, we are so excited. Sarah said that it was like an amazing pre-interview. She's Aww. like, I don't even need questions. It's just going to go naturally. So. <laughs> well, she did try to write us. She did try to write us some. Yeah. Yes. But we're thrilled to have you. Yeah. Oh, I'm and so excited to be here. Yeah. So we'd love uh, to hear about your unique story, how you got started and the start of your journey. Sure. I'm born and raised in Tarboro, North Carolina, super yeah. small town yeah. in the eastern part of the state. And after college, I wanted to uh, attend culinary school. Hmm. And we searched for one that wasn't the Culinary Institute of America, because A, that was like a really long time to be in school after I'd been in school for four years, and super expensive. And so we found a a small school in um, New York City called Peter Comps New York Cooking School Hmm. that was um, like a little under six months, and that included the externship. Hmm. Okay. And so um, in July of 98, I traveled north of the Mason-Dixon line for the first time ever. (laughs) Was that a little shocking? Yeah. I mean, I was so excited to Mm -hmm. move up there, and I was moving in an apartment with four other women from North Carolina. (laughs) Okay. But they didn't come for the first two months. So I kind of had the apartment for July and August. They all moved in after Labor Day around there. And I fell in love immediately. Mm. Like it just wasn't a hard uh, transition for me. Mm. And I also had grown up where everybody always knew what I was doing Mm. every second of the day. Yeah. And for the first time in my life, I felt so free. Yeah. You know? Free and and obscurity. Yeah, exactly. And there was no cell phone. So like- There wasn't. (laughs) Right. People couldn't get in touch with me. And there was really great Mm -hmm. beauty in that. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, so moved up there, started going to culinary school. There was a little wine shop that was right around the corner from, or right facing 86th Street. And I would just go into that wine shop and look around and just be like in all of the pretty bottles. And mm-hmm. They always had at five o'clock somebody tasting, giving you a sample. Oh, nice. And like the third or fourth day I was there, uh, the assistant manager came up and said, you know, you'd save a lot of money if you got a job here. <laughs> I mean, I would only get one bottle every day. But, sure. um, 
And so I, I was like, that's an offer. Yeah. And ended up she had gone to the Culinary Institute of America, mm. but pursued wine, which I, I didn't even know that was an option. Right. Um, and she was from Atlanta. So she's a fellow mm. Southerner. And she kind of took me under her wing. Mm. And so every day after school, I would work at bestsellers from 530 till 1030. And then at the end of school, I realized I like to drink much more than I like to cook. Yeah. <laughs> Don't we all? I know. Um, Did yeah. they pay you in wine? They And, and they money. paid me. Yeah. Oh, okay. That she is got wine and money. Yeah. It, wow. it was really a mm. sweet setup. Mm-hmm. And I loved, you know, the other part of the story is it was this gorgeous, sleek, very modern store. But every bottle in the store was under $10. Oh. And these mm. two gentlemen had, who were both, you know, wine lovers and and, and wine writers, mm-hmm. had traveled all over the world to find small wineries that were not mass produced, but yeah. not supermarket, mm-hmm. but that could come into the States and retail for under $10. That's amazing. That is. Yeah. So were they like sommeliers or? They were. Yeah. Um, Josh Wesson and Richard Marmet. And Josh Wesson had written a book called Red Wine with Fish. Okay. This is like in the mid-90s. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Pretty cutting edge. And (laughs) then um, Richard Marmet's wife was like one of the editors at Bon Appetit. Okay. So they were, but they had partnered. So they were legit. They were legit. Mm -hmm. And and, and like while they didn't run the store, they weren't in operations, they showed up frequently, you know, and like I knew who they were. Yeah. Which was cool. cool. That is cool. Yeah, it was very cool. It really shaped my wine um, kind of mission. And when Mm. we opened on the square, you know, years later, Mm -hmm. we took pride in that we have really great wine starting at $7 a bottle. Yeah. Because our whole thing is we want everybody to drink wine. Yeah. Yeah. So how long after graduation did you land? I know you had the wine shop, but Mm -hmm. land the real first wine job and like working your way up to the beverage director at Windows on the World. So I, I graduated with my externship December and I had called the beverage director at Windows on the World in August and okay. like, hey, can I get, you know, anything? And she had said, you know, there's nothing available. Fax me your resume. And uh, <laughs> December, I still had not heard from her mm. and just figured the resume got lost. Right. I wasn't <clears throat> proactive enough to like keep calling. And so I took a job um, as a head reservationist in the city. Mm. And then all of a sudden, while I'm working there, February, like, 14th, I think, mm. she called mm. and said, we're opening up a small restaurant where Cellar in the Sky used to be. Mm-hmm. It's going to be really heavily wine-themed. We're going to do a large by-the-glass program. And I'd like to interview you as hostess. I was okay. like, wah, wah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I give my dad all this credit because he said, you know, get up there and show them how good you can be at something you don't want to do. Right. And they'll believe in how well you can do something yeah. that you're passionate about. So I went up for the interview and the day of the interview, she shows up with the entire beverage department. And I thought, uh-huh. this is weird. I'm That is weird. Like a hostess right, right. <laughs> is getting interviewed by the whole beverage department. And she said, um, an assistant seller master resigned this morning. Oh, would you like to interview for that position instead? Absolutely. <laughs> yes, I would. Oh. And so I worked in that position <clears throat> for about 10 months, then followed a guy out of California. <laughs> <laughs> Um, who's not my husband. There's so. many stories that uh, <laughs> end and begin that way. Yeah, yeah. And I uh, realized, you know, early on out there, the West Coast wasn't my thing, but I still worked in restaurants. Mm-hmm. And about four months in, they called back and they're mm-hmm. like, you know, we couldn't, we didn't have anything to offer you when mm-hmm. you left, 
but now we have this beverage manager position and mm. we really want you to come back. Okay. That's such a compliment, right? Yeah, like, yeah totally. So that was all I needed. Mm-hmm. And um, when I came back, the beverage director resigned. Mm. And I was not ready for mm, that. Right. And they knew that. And yeah. so basically for the next six months, I did, my title was beverage mm-hmm. manager. Yeah. I learned and, you know, yeah. got my groove in. And then they gave me the title as beverage director in January okay. of 01. That's of awesome. 01. Yeah. 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 So walk us through, because I know that was like a really obviously an impactful part of your life. It's a, very much your book is about life after working there. And I guess for those of our listeners who don't even know where Windows of the World is, where where was that actually in New York City? So the restaurant was on the 107th floor of One World Trade Center, mm-hmm. which okay. was the North Tower. Right. Think about the tower that had the antenna. Right. Yeah. Right, um, right. The observation deck was on the top of the okay. South Tower. Yeah. And Windows was so huge right. that we actually occupied the 106th and 107th floor. Oh, so wow. 106th floor were all the counting uniforms. Mm-hmm. We had one of our cellars on the 106th floor, wine cellars. Wow. And a few banquet rooms wow. too. And then the 107th floor was Wild Blue, which was the small intimate restaurant, mm-hmm. the greatest bar on earth. Mm-hmm. windows on the world, and then more banquet space. And okay. you're the beverage director of all of that. All of it. Wow. All of it. Yeah. yeah. What a job. Yeah. yeah. So you probably met some amazing people. <clears throat> oh, gosh. it was. We had, like, mm-hmm. great people who worked there yeah. and then, mm-hmm. you know, really great customers. I mean, mm-hmm. you think about, and, and they were trying to change this, but windows on the world was a tourist destination, mm-hmm. right? And they had hired Chef Michael LaMonaco to come in there and, like, make the food as serious as the <laughs> wine program and right. the view. And he was doing an amazing job with his yeah. team. But then Wild Blue was where, like, New Yorkers ate. Right. You know, right. so they had created that for New Yorkers. Right. And, right. Um, you know, one of the the coolest things, I used to read anything wine-related that came out in the paper. And the Wall Street Journal had a married couple, and they would write a wine column every Friday. And they would come in a lot. And mm-hmm bring their little girls. And that was just like a neat relationship. But. Yeah. yeah, that's super cool. So tell us a little bit about your book and kind of, I know it's 20 years in the making and um, it's it talks mostly about life after 9-11 really, and maybe your story with that mm-hmm. and just how it felt to get that out there. Yeah, I will say I had zero expectations mm-hmm. about putting this book out, you mm-hmm. know, like I put it out for myself. Mm, yeah. And if people appreciated it, great. If they didn't, it would suck. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> but you'd move on. <laughs> yeah, right. I'd get over it. Yeah. And it's just been unbelievable. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'd ordered a thousand books to sell in our restaurant and my stepmother's store and the brewery and thinking that would last me for a year. Mm-hmm. And they were all out September 30th. Wow. Yeah. And so. Because um, when did it come out? September 11th of this year. So we did it on yeah. the 20th anniversary. On the 20th anniversary. On the 20th anniversary. Okay. anniversary. Yeah. And I did not do any pre-orders because I wanted all the sales to go into Tarboro where mm-hmm. we need sure. the tax dollars. Right, the tax dollars. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. so I love um, that. my stepmom, who's had her little gift shop for 32 years, okay. I think, 33 years, she was like, this was my best day. You know, Aww. like, so it was cool. And all the shops downtown mm-hmm. did really well on that Saturday. Mm-hmm. So it was just a win yeah. for, yeah. for our small yeah. little downtown Tarboro. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Well, so do you, do you mind sharing a little bit of your story? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So obviously you just left off that you became the director, the beverage director at the beginning of 2001. Yes, right? that's right. exactly right. Yeah. So. Yeah. On September 5th, it was, well, Labor Day, I went up. It was 
a holiday and I didn't have to work, but I am one of those people that there's a actually a psychological term for a workaholic, but um, <laughs> but you're that I'm that, and so I decided to go up there and clean the whole office because it probably hadn't been done since it reopened after mm-hmm. the '93 bombing. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I got up in the office and just did this intense deep dive. I mean, it was like an eight-hour day mm-hmm. of me just in the office getting stuff. Mm-hmm. And when I I went through this filing cabinet that we didn't use. And the bottom drawer, there were just like old black and white photos of when mm. it opened in 1976. Wow, and oh, wow. just uh, just all this like history. Yeah. And I got to go through all those pictures. And like I found underneath all of them a three liter of Mom Cordon Rouge. Mm-hmm. And assistant seller masters never got like a day off. Like it didn't matter. I mean, Windows on the World was open 365 days a year. Mm-hmm. And so the assistant seller masters who came in for the morning shift and the night shift you know, would check into the office and mm-hmm. I showed him the bottle and I said, when we get back from my, si- when I get back from my sister's wedding, we're going to chill this and we're going to drink it together. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, great. And so, um, flew home, you know, one thing that I will, um, never take for granted is that when I left on that Tuesday afternoon, I hugged every single person, mm-hmm. uh, to tell them just, I'll be back in a week. I, mm-hmm. I hadn't really taken any time off like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just to kind of give you perspective of the close knitness mm-hmm. of our group, the woman who was in charge of uniforms had, um, altered my bridesmaid's dress, oh. like yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. just things like that. And yeah. so flew home and September 8th was in my sister's wedding, maid of honor, mm-hmm. you know, just, yeah. glorious. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, I'm back in Tarboro, mm-hmm. seeing all these people I love, and they're so interested in hearing what I'm doing, you know, and just mm-hmm. telling them about how much I love, you know, mm-hmm. never leaving. Mm-hmm. And um, I come from a, you know, my parents have been divorced since I was four. And if we have time with dad, we always have time with mom. Mm-hmm. And so in this case of the wedding, it was with my dad's mm-hmm. side. And my mother had said, you know, you need to stay home a couple of days and, and and be with me. Mm-hmm. And so on Sunday morning, she picked up my my biological sister and me, mm-hmm. and we drove to the mountains for just like a little R and R. Yeah. And we were with her good friends. My mother wasn't married at the time, mm-hmm. and their daughters. And so it was everybody kind of piled into this little condo. And um, on the morning of September 11th, she was on over me and I was mm-hmm. asleep and she was crying mm-hmm. and I immediately thought it was my grandmother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My mother said, you need to come and watch the television. And mm-hmm. so at that point, only the North Tower had been hit. Right. And I was just thinking to myself, what a mess this is going to be to clean up. Clueless. Yeah. Right. You know, I clueless. I just, I just cleaned the office like, and started calling the office, mm-hmm. um, to try to get in touch with the gentleman who was working for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just busy signal. Mm-hmm. And so then I start trying to call Stephen in his apartment in Jersey City, and he's not answering. And then the second plane hits. Of course, this is like all. Right. It's happening fast, but yeah. it's also slow so motion. Slow. I know, it you was. know? Yeah. And he's not answering. The phone continues to be busy. South Tower gets hit. So I finally get this idea to call my friend who had worked at Windows, mm-hmm. had left in March, and she lived on the Upper West Side. Mm-hmm. And again, no self. I mean, I had a pager. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. That was it. Mm-hmm. And so I call Susan on the Upper West Side. She answers. She's crying. And I was like, why are you crying? 
And she's like, this is bad. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I can't talk to you. You know, like, (laughs) I'm not going to do this right now. We're not going to freak out. Yeah. And then, you know, the towers. And it it was, um, I am a very emotional person. And Mm -hmm. I cry when I, you know, read the giving tree or, (laughs) you know, like, it doesn't take anything to make me cry. (laughs) But I was, I think, just in a state of shock. Mm -hmm. And I said, we've got to go. We have Mm -hmm. to leave right now. And my mom and my sister and I drove back to Tarboro, which is from Blowing Rocks. It was like mm-hmm. a four-hour four drive. And get to my grandmother's house. And my dad's stepmom are on in the front yard. And I was like, I thought you were at the beach. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, yeah, you know, hugging, not letting go. And then my grandmother says, there's a woman who keeps calling you. And she's manic. And you need to call her back. Mm-hmm. And it was Maggie and while I had never met Maggie, I used to speak with her on the phone. Her boyfriend worked at Windows on the World, mm-hmm. and he was an assistant seller master. And she, this is back in the days of 411, right? Mm-hmm. So she calls 411. I don't know how she remembered Tarboro. Mm-hmm. Maggie said, do you think Jeff could have been anywhere other than at the top of the building? And I was like, you know, Maggie, he could have because, you know, we ran routes to the Port Authority every day. Mm-hmm. And he could have been in the bottom. And she was like, then he could be alive. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like he could be, and I was so. And he um, was one of the last bodies found. You know, mm-hmm. and they found the bodies. His wasn't found until July of um, oh two. So wow. most likely he was at, at the bottom. bottom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just that like awful day of thinking that maybe, yeah, <laughs> maybe people could be alive. Mm-hmm. That you know, did anybody make it out of windows on the no. wall? No one. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our chef stopped to get his. Um, lenses repaired in the eye center and he lived but you know nobody yeah. who was actually nobody there. who's up there so, yeah and so how did you even like go back i don't know i was adamant though mm-hmm. that i was going back mm-hmm. that we're going to go back to new york we're just going to be part of this whole mm-hmm. restoration mm-hmm. and i think the biggest problem for me is i took a job i took a management job mm-hmm. Op- in, in New York? In New York, mm-hmm. opening a hotel um, in Times Square yeah. on New Year's Eve 2001. Like, mm-hmm. 2002? Well, it, New Year's Day was 2002. Oh, New yeah. Year's Eve 2001. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So when did you make it back that weekend? Like, when did you? Like a week later. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like as soon as they Tuesday. started allowing people back into the city, okay. I was there. We rented a car okay. and drove up. You know, mm-hmm. I don't even think flights were still mm-hmm. running, but I wasn't going to fly anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, no one was fine. No one was fine. Yeah. And so, yeah, Stephen had taken a train out of the city, and I'd met him on September mm-hmm. 12th at the Baltimore train station mm-hmm. and taken him back with me mm-hmm. to Tarboro. And we spent that week together, you know, and— I just needed to be with him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Someone who even understood the, all the people that you The enormity you of your loss. Right, yeah. right, right. And yeah. everybody else, I was just mad. Like, yeah. I didn't want people asking me about it. Yeah. I didn't want yeah. people telling me they, you know, their prayers are with me. Yeah, yeah. I just was like right. really angry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and now that I know it, I know, you know, the stages of sure. grief. But um, so, yeah, we went back a week, a week later mm-hmm. and probably we started collecting unemployment. And mm-hmm. I just— Again, wanted to be in a workspace, and mm-hmm. and I, I took a job. I, I remember one of my friends, who's the sommelier at Gramercy Tavern, saying, "Why don't you come and be a, a runner?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Oh, I'm not going to go be a runner." Mm-hmm. I mean, I think about one of the biggest mistakes I've ever made. Mm-hmm. 
I could have gone and worked with a family like setting at Gramercy Tavern, mm-hmm. running food four nights a week, probably made a killing mm-hmm. and healed mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But instead I went into a restaurant group that was like not really family-like. Corporate-y. Mm-hmm. Corporate-y mm-hmm. and, yeah, and started, like, managing. It was a disaster. I'm surprised mm-hmm. anybody offered me a job ever after that. Yeah. And so, and Stephen was running a wine program for a huge retail store up in Inwood. So we mm-hmm. both got jobs before Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean. That's crazy. And I know, like, you know, we could have figured it out how mm-hmm. to be able to live sure. and not take these jobs, mm-hmm. but we just didn't. Just need the distraction, probably. Needed the distraction, mm-hmm. but I, I do like. I feel like that's something that if I could share with anyone, like mm. sometimes you just got to step back. You just got to be in yeah. it, right? And 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 do something that yeah. maybe isn't as, you know, intense as what you've done right. before. Sure, I can imagine too. The anger would probably stem more from the frivolousness of it all, right? Like whenever I feel like there's tragedy or something hard and you're looking at and you're, we're like managing people, I'm like, what's the point in all of this? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I remember that like pre-shift mm-hmm. where, you know, one of the managers are, um, is just flipping out on these steps of service that didn't happen. I'm like, really? Yeah. yeah. Like, are, like in the grand scheme of things, right, what does this matter? Right. Or like, who yeah. cares? And yeah. I definitely had that like, who fucking cares? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, realizing that, in March, I just I didn't even tell Stephen. I just went to the manager and I said, "I'm gonna I'm gonna give you t- two weeks, a month, whatever, whatever you want, but mm-hmm. I can't stay. I can't do this." Yeah. And then um, came home and told Stephen that, and he's like, "Well, do you want me to? I mean, what are, what are we gonna do?" <laughs> and I said, "My parents keep saying come home and take the summer off because we'd already lined up that we were gonna go work the harvest in Burgundy." In August, mm-hmm. and so my parents said, "Why don't y'all just come home for the mm-hmm. summer?" Mm-hmm. And Stephen said, "You know, if you want to, I will. I mean, I just don't know how we're going to live." And I was like, "Well, my parents said we could just live with them and mm-hmm. you know figure some stuff out." And so he loved his job. He really had a great work environment with mm-hmm. his second job, and he gave them a couple months. I had found a family run inn in Chappaqua. Mm-hmm. that had a huge wine program that needed somebody to come and just figure out their inventory because mm-hmm. nobody had taken care of it. And so I just consulted for them five days a week until Stephen, until his tenure was mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. And then we rented a truck and a U-Haul and drove back, drove to, North back Carolina. to North Carolina. And that was the last time we ever lived in New York City. Wow. wow. Yeah. Hmm. End of a chapter. Yeah. So what what got you guys to the point where you started on the square in Tarboro Brewing Company. Like, what was that path like? So literally uh, July of 02, mm-hmm. we're hanging out with my dad, Marianne, Stephen, because he could not believe that my parents were just letting us stay. Mm-hmm. He cooked every single meal, mm-hmm. every single meal. And, you know, when I met him, he was a sommelier, and mm-hmm. he, he told me he'd worked in restaurants. Mm-hmm. But, like, I just knew him as the sommelier. Right. And holy cow, he's this incredible cook. (laughs) And he was doing all these wild things. Like at the time, my parents were living um, next to a cornfield. And Stephen went out there. He's very interested. And he goes, look, we look OJ. 
And my dad's like, corn smut. And he's like, this is sweet lacoche. This is like, this is a Mexican delicacy. And so he makes wheat lacoche raviolis. And my dad's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I'm like, try it. You know, everything he did was was so good. And so we're living with my parents. Steven's cooking all the time. And my parents told him, you don't have to, you know. But he just didn't feel right about it. Mm -hmm. And so... I felt fine about it. Yeah. Yeah. What are parents for? <laughs> right, right. Exactly. And so a woman from Tarboro who owned a little luncheonette, mm-hmm. breakfast and lunch place called On the Square, calls my dad's house, asks to speak with me. And she says, hi, my name's Francis Liverman. I hear you and your boyfriend um, <laughs> are, are chefs. I'm, I want to sell my restaurant. And I said, oh, Miss Liverman, you're so kind. We don't have two dimes to run to, mm-hmm, rub together, right. but thank you. My dad eavesdropped into the whole thing. Mm. So he went and um, looked at the restaurant, and there was a doctor looking at the restaurant too. Mm-hmm. And my dad is like the definition of collaboration. He's mm. like, why don't we buy it together? Mm. And the doctor's like, really? And dad's like, yeah, I think I can talk my daughter and, and future son-in-law. And so he comes back and he goes, I think I'm going to buy this restaurant. And Stephen says, you're kidding me. Mm-hmm. And he says, no, I'm not kidding. And, and Stephen says, this is a culinary wasteland. <laughs> like, nobody's going to eat good food mm-hmm. here. Yeah. And my dad said, if you build it, they will come. <laughs> and Stephen says, uh, I'll give you an 18-month commitment. Mm. And we just celebrated 19 years. So wow. you know yeah. how that story goes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we moved to France. We worked the harvest. Come back in October, the closing date of the restaurant. Yeah. And just hit the ground running. Yeah. And then Stephen's like, I think we 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 changed the smoking dining room into a little temperature controlled wine cellar, mm-hmm. working wine cellar. And again, I modeled that off bestsellers. Like mm-hmm. at the beginning, it was very like under ten, mm-hmm. you know, under fifteen. Sure. And so then Stephen says, I want to do night. Like I mean, I can't stand cooking breakfast. Yeah. You know, you and I love wine. Like why aren't we doing? And so he says to my dad, I think I want to do a tapas style. Menu mm-hmm. Thursday and Friday night. And dad goes, I'm just going to tell you, <laughs> having topless people weigh on you is a lot for Tarboro. <laughs> <laughs> and Steve's like, what are you talking about? He's like, tapas. And dad's like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> so, a lot for Tarboro. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot for Tarboro. My dad wanted to say yes to everything because mm-hmm. all he wanted to do was get us to stay. Yeah. And so, <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, so we started doing small plates. We changed it from tapas to small, small plates. plates. Yeah. So there was no confusion. No confusion. Yeah. <laughs> and um, here we are living in an apartment above my stepmom's store. We don't have a car. Mm. Um, we are making zero money. Right. And I get a call from these two New York sommeliers who are consulting for the first casino to be built in Atlantic City in 13 years. Mm. And they want a wine director. Mm. And they're like, it's you. It's got to be you. And I was like, I don't know. But let me talk to Stephen. And mm-hmm. I, of course, I'm like really battling about being back in Tarboro is what I swore I would never right, do. Right. And so I go into the kitchen. It's lunchtime. And I said, Stephen, listen to this. He goes, Inez, you have to do it. He goes, this is what's going to let On the Square last. You and I can't live like this. We can't, mm-hmm. we cannot do this. But if you go up there and make a great salary and you have benefits and you have 401k, he's like, this is what, and, and we had not, we were engaged to be married on April 26th. So this mm-hmm. was March. So I called him back and I said, I'll, I'll take the interview. And so the next day, my sister drove me up to New Jersey, Mm. spent the night, and then the next day I went to interview with Mm. the vice president of food and beverage and 
when I got back to Tarboro, there was an offer letter in my email. Oh, wow. And so we got married on the April 26th. Mm-hmm. And then on April 27th, Stephen drove me to New Jersey. I cried the entire way. Yeah. Yeah. And he dropped me off for good like that Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And they had arranged for me to live in like a residence in. And they'd gotten me a rental car. <laughs> we still we were in my parents' car. Stephen drove yeah. me up in my parents' car. And we lived for 17 months. Wow. Apart. Yeah. Wow. Actually, it was like 19 months or 20 mm, months. Like why you got this program up and going. Mm-hmm. And Well, I got pregnant. Oh. Mm. Who says phone sex is safe? <laughs> Nothing know. is safe. Apparently not. <laughs> Nothing is safe. Yeah. Um, yeah and um, But it brought you back to NC. It did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And by the time I got back in July of 04, I was eight and a half months pregnant. Yeah. Mm. And Stephen had shaped on the square. And I mean, he had regulars. He had eliminated breakfast. He couldn't wait to do that. Yeah. He'd gotten a point of sale. He'd hired a, a, a sous chef. And everything, the food was amazing. The food's always been amazing. The, mm-hmm. the service was like, you know, what all you could do for being in Eastern North Carolina. Mm-hmm. That's not fair. But being mm-hmm. in a small town where people don't think of service as something right. as, as important. They don't right. have that expectation. Correct. That right. It should be in a nice restaurant. And they've never really been modeled on. Right. Right. Exactly. So they're only doing what they know. There's nothing, you know. Yeah. And so— had Cynthia in September, September 12th, I might add. She mm-hmm. was like part of my healing. Healing, mm-hmm. yeah. And just dove into the service aspect and the wine part. And, you know, we've trained a couple of sommeliers from Tarboro mm-hmm. who have moved on, which is really cool. <laughs> and who cool. knew that sommeliers would come from Tarboro? Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's just been a, um, I mean, we call on the square our first baby. Mm, yeah. yeah. She's oh. 19. She's 19. <laughs> Just barely an yeah. adult. Yeah, exactly. But to, to almost, or so uh, in 2008, we bought a 10,000 square foot building two blocks from the restaurant mm-hmm. because everybody said on the square had outgrown the space. Mm-hmm. And everybody remembers what happened in 2008. Mm-hmm. Nobody yeah. wanted to invest in a restaurant, no. period, much less one in Edgecombe County. Yeah. So Steve and I are just sitting on this building. Yeah. I mean, bad times. And... We'd always followed what Duck Rabbit was doing in Farmville. Mm-hmm. But in 2010, Mother Earth opened up in Kenston. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're like, this place would be a great brewery. And so um, we called a friend of mine from Tarboro who had moved up to Philadelphia, like Franklin. Mm-hmm. When you're home for Christmas next, come look at this building. Mm-hmm. And Franklin was, I mean, when y'all come to Tarboro, mm-hmm. hopefully sooner rather than later. We will be there soon. Gorgeous building. Yeah. I mean, it's old brick, really charming. Mm. And Franklin's like, this is amazing. But yeah, just let me know if you raise the money. Because <laughs> <laughs> when you raise the money, then then come back and talk to me. Mm-hmm. And it took forever. And we, as like over a year, probably. Oh. Or years, because it was a long bounce back from 2008. Yeah. It wasn't like till like 12, 13 that things started getting normal. Even then, it was hard to get financing. financing. So we wrote the business plan in 12. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Started an Indiegogo campaign in 13. Mm -hmm. Okay. Raised some money to get a lawyer Mm -hmm. to do like the bylaws and the shareholder agreement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then from that 13 to late 14, Mm -hmm. we raised the first round of capital. Okay. Mm can't start construction until you have the capital, right? Mm. So we didn't start the construction until almost 15. Mm. We modeled our business plan after Duck Rabbit, which was primarily wholesale. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, 
we just need the wholesale yeah. aspect. So we just opened up a production facility in no February of 16. No retail at that point. No retail. Yeah. Well, the number of breweries had tripled mm-hmm. since we wrote the business plan in mm-hmm. t- 2012. Right. So it went from 75 to like over 215 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, we're screwed. Yeah. We have mm-hmm. no money. Like I mean, We've none. missed the curve. We've missed the curve. Yeah. And so I knew the only way we could even like do anything was to now open up a tap room. Mm-hmm. And I remember sending the initial investors this email and I was like, you know, I know a lot more than I knew mm-hmm. almost six years ago. Right. But I was so ashamed. I felt so ashamed, mm-hmm. you know, and, and like a total failure. Mm-hmm. Um on so many levels. Like, mm-hmm. I've let shareholders down, but, like, I've let my family down. Mm, right. And so I sent an email and said, you know, the truth is we're out of money. We need to open up this tap room, mm-hmm. and I'm going to have to raise more money. So I just need to tell y'all that's what it's going to be like. So you're basically saying, like, I'm diluting your yeah. your investment. Well, luckily, we had reserved. Okay. So it was the same price per share. Okay. But in eastern North Carolina, people go in for 25000 That's a lot well, of their a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. A lot of money. Right. And so I'll never forget within like ten minutes of sending out that email, I got three and two two initial investors and one like brother in law of an investor, mm-hmm. $125,000 yeah. commitment. And I was like, dang. Because they just believed in you. They believed in you. Mm-hmm. And that was really, you know, was great. Um yeah. made you feel like you obviously did something right. And that even though that feeling of shame and failure, there was obviously something so successful about the two of you that they believed that whatever you asked, they knew you would use it wisely right. and correctly. Yeah. Well, definitely correctly. I don't know about wisely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I tried. Wh- no, wisdom <laughs> only comes in hindsight. I 100% yeah. believe. Like, And it's just a little bit of like luck and tenacity that gets you to the point where you can even look back and have the wisdom. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Mm-hmm. No, that's so You got to so be a hard worker. True. Mm-hmm. You got to have and a little bit of luck and you just be able can't to give up. Yeah, you can't give right. up. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, last week I was like, I give up, I give up. But then I'm like, I wake up the next day and I'm like, go away. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not what we do. Like, right? We right. hustle. That's right. You mm-hmm. hustle. We mm-hmm. hustle. And so we got the tap room open in June of 16. The The great part of that is we have two birthdays every year. Yeah. Two anniversaries. <laughs> yeah. And um, I left the restaurant probably June of 16 and just focused full time on the brewery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we opened literally a year later, a satellite um, spot in the Rocky Mount Mills campus oh, called yeah. TBC West, yes. okay. where we have like a little pilot brewing system, which okay. is super cool. Yeah. So, and that's been, you know, what a busy. long journey. Yeah. And I, I really love I'm that. I'm tired. I, but I really love that about your story, like the authenticity of it, mm-hmm. because I think that, and one of the things that we try to fight is the myth that entrepreneurship and success happens overnight. And I think that, you know, obviously a lot of life was lived in between the start and these past 19 years, a lot of healing, a lot mm-hmm. of getting back to like who you are and kind of, you know, I mean, every, your whole life changed in an instant. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you know, so I think that that's just like a really, it's a really beautiful, really beautiful story. And it's such a great story of the human spirit. Yeah, because you could have gone in any direction yeah, at that point. you could have done anything. A lot of people went in a really, really dark place. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I'm not saying there wasn't dark moments for right. you, but, you know, just that that general like spirit yeah. and will to mm-hmm. do and create and be, I think is really amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that circling back 20 years and kind of sharing like your journal basically and like your thoughts and going yeah. through that. That's 
probably very healing for you, but very healing for lots of other people people. who Mm -hmm. experience that. It's it's been um, very healing. I I didn't expect it to be what what it has been. I think too when you think about something in terms of time, because time time does help no matter Mm -hmm. what. Yeah, it does. I mean, grief never really goes away. Right. But time does help it become a little less sharp. But I think that when you are experience something or you put something out there and you share maybe a part of story you haven't shared before, or you share with somebody else, you like it's even more healing happens after that. Mm-hmm. And when you and you sometimes think, oh, I thought I was over it. Like I thought I was fine. Like I thought it wasn't going to bring these things back up, but it does. And I think it always kind of knits you back together just a little mm-hmm. bit more. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I love about memoirs. That's what I love about things is someone's going to read this, even if it's just one person that reads this book and that does that for them, it's very meaningful. Right. Yeah. Well, that I will share, um, and I haven't really told anyone this, but I don't know, seven or eight years ago when I was really adamant about getting this book out, one of my friends had just written a book, a cookbook, and she said, let me get you in touch with my publisher. And so she sent an introductory email and he it was a big publisher. He said he could speak with me on like a 7.30 on a Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I got on the phone with him. And before I could even like explain myself, he was like, nobody's going to read this. Nobody reads memoirs. You don't, nobody knows who you are. <laughs> I mean, like it took so everything in my body, like not to just like, <laughs> but, but I was like, wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. And he's like, yeah, I mean, I appreciate her making the, the, Thing, but she's she's famous. You're not famous. And I was like, okay. And he, and I will never forget. He said, nobody reads memoirs. Mm. And I thought, well, I read memoirs. <laughs> I really like memoirs. And, but maybe I'm nobody. <laughs> right. And I, and I, As it you really, pointed out already. it stalled me. I mm. let it stall me. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, what if he's right? Mm. And I didn't come back from that until 19, 2019, I went to a women's leadership conference okay. um, in California and was seated beside this woman who had written books on Napa. So they were nonfiction. Mm-hmm. And I was like, can I pick your brain? And and I told her, I said, I've got this book. I really want to do it, but I just, I'm scared. I don't know how to. And she's like, you got to do it. Mm-hmm. She's like, you got to do it. And here she is. She doesn't know me. Mm-hmm. She could have chosen to be like, eh, she would check in with me. I met her once. Mm. Yes, yeah, nice. Text me. Yeah. Hey, how's that book coming? Mm. Hey, she would send me emails on self-publishing. She took time to tell me what the pros and cons were yeah. of self-publishing. I mean, and I think about like I do give her a lot of credit in mm-hmm. like getting me out of that hole. And I haven't thought about that man for a long time, <laughs> but it did take something from my mm. it broke my spirit a little bit yeah you know and and going back to like well, this it, is the expert you were right. talking to a to supposed expert, expert right. right so like he knows he's in the know yeah he knows yeah. he sells billions of books right. but like to your point like it doesn't happen overnight mm-hmm. it doesn't just mm-hmm. doesn't like yeah. you know and just gotta keep going that's brutal though yeah yeah so what advice would you give someone that's maybe been through something devastating but they want to start like that next chapter in their entrepreneurship journey Therapy. <laughs> uh, Process it. Yeah. Therapy's like my favorite. Yeah. You know, and and going back to your mm-hmm. the time thing, like mm-hmm. it's okay mm-hmm. to step back and like do something maybe in your field that doesn't have the pressure or the like mm-hmm. responsibility. 
or maybe something like we've said for so long, you have to do what you said you were going to do when you're 22 years old and right. do it until oh, yeah. you're like That's 80 just years bullshit. old. Right. It's bullshit. Yeah, totally. You bullshit. can change your mind whenever right. you want. Mm-hmm. Like this brewery, while I love it very much and I want it to succeed, it does not define me, mm-hmm. right? Like if I wanted to, I could say, hey, everybody, I'm going to go teach preschool, yeah. right? Like I can do whatever I want. Yeah. I make that choice. Yeah. And so be comfortable when you are grieving or when you are like, dealing with something, a loss of a, you know, the business that you loved, right? Mm-hmm. Like, or God forbid, you know, a family member mm-hmm. or whatever, just like be good to yourself mm-hmm. and let yourself know mm-hmm. you deserve this time to mourn, grieve. You know, you're not expected to like create something great immediately after, mm-hmm. right? Like just be good to yourself mm-hmm. and let yourself like, take the time to process, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, and I think as women, unfortunately, we do, like, define ourselves more by our failures than Mm -hmm. our successes. Mm -hmm. Like, I can, I could spend two hours telling you everything I failed at. I could probably (laughs) not think that long about what I've succeeded at. Yeah. Well, there's one question we like to ask everybody, and this can kind of coincide with maybe, like, what is the hardest part or what was maybe what you consider your oh shit moment? In, like your, in the entrepreneurship journey. Okay, yeah. Like as you're like building the restaurant or as you're building the brewery. And you and maybe, kinda, I mean, you might, you shared a little bit yeah. about the investor yeah. situation. Would that be your biggest oh shit moment? I think the oh shit moment for me in regards to the brewery, and I don't think I would have done it differently in that, you know, I could have gone into a strip mall with a three barrel system and bank finance the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And been just kind of moved a little bit more slower. But we took this beautiful old building mm-hmm. that cost way more than yeah. we ever anticipated. And we we created a huge system, a 20-barrel system. We probably should have done like a five-barrel, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's nothing to do about it right now, mm-hmm. Yeah, right? So like right. I've just got to like f- laser focus on sales. And, yeah. and mm-hmm. I, I, you know, the other shit is I had no idea how hard it was to sell. Mm. I went from – people blowing my phone up for a reservation Mm -hmm. to people crossing the street so they didn't have to talk to me about me asking, will you put my beer on tap? Yeah. Right? Like, (laughs) avoid that lady. Right. She's here, you know, and, and, you know, and, and y'all probably know this too, like all these friends Mm -hmm. that said, oh, we're going to put your beer on tap. Mm. (laughs) I mean, Mm -hmm. it just doesn't work out that way all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. That's like a whole other podcast, I feel like. It's, I think it's the how relationships change when you become a business owner. Yes. And especially when maybe who you thought was your biggest cheerleader actually isn't. Mm-hmm. And how things change even with people that are like – I always say family is complicated, right? So family business is always very complicated. But you know, you're in business partnership with your husband. (laughs) Right, right. But even those relationships at time get strained. And because in the the moment you're like, oh, we can survive this. It'll be fine. Like we're sisters first. And, Mm -hmm. you know, but then I think stress, I think money, I think time, it all clouds what that relationship is. And um, yeah, yeah. But it's hard. But I mean, I feel like that's like a whole therapy session of like, right. Well, and people always think they could have done it better. Oh, yeah. But they're not in it. They're not in it. Right. Like they didn't have this. They didn't have the same information. They didn't have the same experience. They didn't have the same circumstances. Right. That is the problem even with like judging other people. Like 
even for us, when you look at, let's say, like a new mom, right? And you're like, I wouldn't have done it that way. You're like, but you don't know their life. Like, you don't know the circumstances of right. of how that pregnancy was or that birth was or their right. relationship with their spouse or whatever. Like, all you can put on is the view that you have with your life and your experience. And that's not everybody else's experience. Right. Absolutely. So your opinion is invalid, actually. Right. It doesn't <laughs> matter. And I, I go to a lot of sporting events. And so I hear all these freaking people yelling at coaches like I would oh, right. and I'm like you don't know yeah you're not down there coaching go down there and coach volunteer yeah. right. you know but it is it for me perspective like I can see it in so yeah and and I'm a big public school supporter mm-hmm. and when I see these parents rip down teachers mm-hmm. and admin and just we're, we're gonna move to this you know I just think you're never gonna make it better you're never going to make By it moving better. your money elsewhere nope you just go in and say, mm-hmm. how do I support you? How do, like, yep. I do things do that you we need now? all want, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think about it all the time. Like, in anything, you mm-hmm. know, people are very quick yeah, to, to give judge. their opinion. Yeah, mm-hmm. and to judge. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's a bummer. Yeah. It is. Well, that just confirms the our non-investor route because there was times where, like, this would be easier than an investor. But then mm-hmm. I was like, I'd have to listen to somebody else's opinion about this, mm-hmm. and I don't want to. And have a this board This is meeting. enough. <laughs> And have a board meeting. Yeah, this board's enough. <laughs> well, congratulations. I feel like we could talk for forever. I know. Right now. We Maybe we're going to have to have you out again. I feel yes, like I talked too much. Sorry. No, no, no perfect. No. Yes. Congratulations on your book and all the success. We can't wait to get to Tarboro and see this beautiful building for ourselves and, and try the food. food. Yes. Yeah. But where can people um, get your book? How can they connect with you guys? How can they support? How can they try out this beer? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. So just so you know, um, we're, we're drinking uh, Home for the Holidays. It's very, very, very yummy. It would be yeah. perfect to add to uh, your holiday menu. Yeah. It's so good. Great. It's so good. Yeah. So where can they find all that stuff? Okay. So if you want to buy the book, mm-hmm. you okay. can buy it at TBC West in Rocky Mount. Okay. okay. Or you can come a little further east to On the Square, Rusty's Gift Shop, or Tarbor Brewing Company. Okay. okay. And then the beer, I mean, we'd love for you to come and just drink a pint with us yes. and take home some uh, four packs or six packs. But um, I'm going to give a big shout out to Peace Street Market mm, okay. in mm-hmm. Raleigh for today. Yeah. All okay. right. Perfect. Awesome. Thank awesome. y'all. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. All right. It's been a great. It's been so wonderful. Fun. Yeah. So fun. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone, for gathering us today to talk about the hustle. For our episode with Inez, we are drinking Tarboro Brewing Company's new home for the holiday spiced ale. You can get it yourself with the link in our show notes. We hope you'll get the chance to drink it this week and cheers to acknowledging your successes. To learn more about Inez Ribostello and her business, visit tarborobrewingcompany.com, onthesquarenc.com, or follow on Instagram at tarborobrewingcompany at onthesquare, or follow her personal at Inez Ribostello. You can purchase and read more about Inez's book, Life After Windows, at the list of retailers in our show notes. And to learn more about our hustles, visit cndevents.com, anthemhouse.com, thebradfordnc.com, and hustleandgather.com, or follow us on Instagram at cndevents, at anthem.house, at thebradfordnc, or at hustleandgather. And if you like this show, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. This podcast is a production of Earfluence. I'm Dana. And I'm Courtney. And we'll talk to you next time on Hustle and Gather. Hustle and Gather.